All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sean Steele Law Firm podcast. We have a very special episode for you today. I am Alexander Eisner, joined today with Sean Steele. Sean, say hello. Doctors, <clears throat> pardon me, we're doing something different. We decided to invite a real live defense attorney, and not a normal defense attorney, but a big leaguer, somebody that has massive amounts of cases to deal with. I, I won't mention your client, so Keith, I'll let you do that. Uh, but uh, he's very well known in the trial lawyer community. Uh, one of the notices that I sent out, and we've got a lot of subscriptions, people want the video because uh, we, we'll have it online, is that I, I explain how Keith Bremer eats chiropractors for breakfast. It's just a kind of a way of explaining that this is a tough guy that knows all the tricks of the trade. He's widely respected. When you deal with him, uh, you got to be on your your game. You got to be sharp. You got to know what's going on. You got to know every bit of your file. Uh, but uh, we want him to give us a candid view of chiropractors in the personal injury world. How they how people really think about it. How carriers think about them. Some of the mistakes. Some of the advantages that chiropractors have. So I'm leaving this in Alex's trusty hands. He's uh, overdressed today, but that that's okay. That he likes he likes looking good. You can tell I'm working hard. I'm really not on the beach, but it might appear that I am. Uh, Alex is going to explain to you how you get copies of this, but it'll be on our, our website forever. But I'm delighted to have Keith there. Alex, tell us something about Keith before he tells us the magical words. Oh, I will. Keith uh, Keith is a friend. Uh, Keith is uh, one of the good guys. He is on the defense side. He is the Name partner at Keith Bremer. It is a uh, a pretty sizable defense firm uh, operating in how many states, Keith? Uh, we're in four states. We have nine full service offices. Four states, nine offices. That's a big payroll. That's a lot of defense attorneys. Now, granted, they're not all the bad kind. You've got a, a different kind that you got professional services and contracts and uh, all that sort of thing uh, also in your operation. But uh, I, Keith and I have worked together on a number of pretty sizable cases. Um, and that is, that's where we sort of, uh, became friends. It was after working on a couple of cases together. And I think, uh, our, our styles mesh well, it's, it's the type of thing where we're able to, uh, to, to be respectful of each other's positions and also just get the case resolved. Um, but in, in so doing, uh, I've learned a lot from Keith, and I think that uh, that we can learn a lot from him collectively uh, as as the plaintiff's bar, but also as as chiropractors who are conscientious and really trying to better their cases in their community. So, Keith, I want to thank you for coming on. I want to thank you for joining us, um, and uh, and 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 just welcome to the podcast. Great, thank you very much. I appreciate it, doctors. I, I hope I can add some value here. And if you ever have any questions or comments or want some more insight, feel free to pop an email to me and go to my website and uh, you can get the link there. Again, the firm is Bremer White. Um, White is W-H-Y-T-E. And we've got about 220 lawyers in uh, nine offices in the Western United States. Uh, like uh, Alex was saying, probably 140 or so do insurance defense. Uh, the other 75, we do family law, business litigation, transactional contracts, real property different types of stuff. So it's a full service law firm, but I've really enjoyed working with Sean and Alex. Uh, they asked if I wanted to pop on and see if I can add some value. And I'd love to be a resource. I think a collaborative, open, transparent uh, relationship is the perfect way to do it. 
I, I couldn't agree more, Keith, and, and that's why we call you one of the good ones. But Sean did advertise this as uh, the defense attorney who eats chiropractors for breakfast. That wasn't, he didn't make that up. He really wrote that in an email. Um, and uh, and so let's let's take some of the scary out of um, out of the defense bar uh, for 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 the chiropractors on the call. I think I think there's a lot of misinformation that goes into litigation, particularly on the defense side, that they you know they're out for chiropractors and that they don't respect their bills or their reports or that they want to take their depositions unnecessarily just to make them look bad or look stupid and. That has just not been my experience uh, with with any credible or, or or quality defense attorney that I've ever dealt with. But let's hear it from you. I mean, tell me tell me just sort of thirty thousand feet. Like, what's you know when you get a PI case, and and I'm sure that you personally aren't handling smaller you know misty sort of cases. But um, you know what 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 is the what is the view? I mean, what is a a, a Bremer White defense attorney's view on chiropractic writ large? Sure. Well, I liked your comments a lot, Alex. What you said was when I deal with good quality attorneys. You know, uh, the reality is, from my perspective, I would rather be dealing with a great, above board, good plaintiff lawyer. Some lawyers would tell you I want to deal with the crappy plaintiff lawyers. I can get a better deal and do things. But what I find are good lawyers that know what they're doing really want to get to the genesis of was this person hurt? What's the extent of their damages? What are the damages? And let's have a reasoned conversation. I can tell you guys, it's funny. Um, 3% of all cases get tried. And I think 3% is probably an exaggerated number, but that's the number people use. The cases that get tried or I try, I'm generally trying them with completely unreasonable attorneys or absolutely crazy clients. Those are the cases that primarily almost always go to trial. And I'm best friends with every great plaintiff lawyer there is out there, literally best friends as I am with Alex. And I know the trials that they have. And they're telling me I'm dealing with a client that is completely out of control. I have no client control. I don't want to lose the case. Or I'm dealing with just a plaintiff lawyer that's terrible, a defense lawyer that's terrible. So let's talk about the dark side. I think that the bad defense lawyers are going to sell the DCs as someone who is not qualified to make the 10,000 foot top highbrow level decision making. I think from a good attorney and a good law firm standpoint, that's a bunch of crap. In my opinion, you are usually the first stop for shop in a mist, right? And you are at 10,000 feet. They've probably never seen you before. They came to you because of a referral from attorney or they came to you from a referral from a friend. So I think that your opinions concerning that first take are huge, you know, and what you put in the report and what they say and where they're, they're going has a huge amount of credibility with a jury. And remember, that's where good lawyers versus bad lawyers get confused. I mean, my job is not what I say or what I think. It's what am I communicating to the jury? What is the jury hearing? What are they digesting? What are their opinions about what they're hearing, seeing, smelling, touching? It's a very um, interesting take. So, you know, as much as subjectively some defense lawyers believe that a DC is not as qualified as a neurologist or an orthopedic surgeon, I don't think a jury receives that information in the same sense. I think that a jury hears you, that you are a doctor, hears that you are someone that they go to. Most jurors have gone to chiropractors and respect chiropractors. They use them in times of need when they're hurt, pain, strains. So they have a lot of credibility. Um, so I, I really do digest that. Now, there becomes a point where the, the doctor, the DC, loses credibility when he or she goes too far. Of course, right? Yeah, and that, and we we've talked about that on this podcast before. That that it takes nothing away from the credibility of a chiropractor to say that 
it's better if they opine within the world of chiropractic or orthopedic injuries, as opposed to trying to opine on neurologic or psychological or, or you know, things outside of their, their specialty. I don't think that takes anything away from the credibility factor um, of the chiropractor at all. And I think that, I think you, you, you sort of nailed it, which is a good defense attorney, good any attorney is not just going to see their own prejudices and try to push that on their client, whether that client is an insurance company or whether or whether they're pushing that belief on a jury. A good defense attorney or good any attorney is going to look at a case and go, how is this, how is this going to be portrayed to a jury? Well, what is the jury going to think about this? Well, like you said, most jurors have been to a chiropractor. So their opinions are probably favorable of chiropractors and chiropractic medicine. Most, most uh, ju juries are going to respect people that are respectable. So a lot of a lot of times, a good defense attorney will take the chiropractor's deposition to get a sense of them. Are they are they going to try to overstep, or are they going to stay within their their specialty and say, okay, yeah, this is this is what I. Um, this is what I saw when the patient first came in, and this is what I noted, and this is what they said to me, and these are my opinions as to, in cases like this, how long they typically, you know, these injuries last. But, but I, I totally agree that the the good attorneys are the ones that are able to sort of set their own personal prejudices aside, and and uh, and talk, you know, think about chiropractic in terms of what does my client, and in your case, the insurance company, need to know about this case as it relates to is this credit is this chiropractor credible are they staying within their lane are they are they giving us good solid information or is there something outside the bounds that they're doing so if i can just chime in on that a little bit if you guys all i think if, if you guys all could take one takeaway from from this call it's that you don't want to be perceived by the jury as an advocate for the client as an advocate you want to be perceived as someone who is a treating doctor but all he or she cares about is getting its patient back to where he or she was prior to the injury, getting them back to where, where they're, they're back and they're enjoying life and they're able to do what they need to do. Um, I think that where a DC loses credibility, where he or she becomes very impassioned and starts sharing the same emotions and passions as that of the patient. So I think just being that independent doctor that cares nothing more about just a patient getting better, whether she's blue, white, yellow, Spanish, Chinese, whether she comes from Alex or she comes from my office or she just comes and she wasn't in a car accident. It just, it just is anybody that comes in the door, my job is to make them better. That's the win for me. So all I cared about first and foremost, when they walked in is what was their, their baseline before and how do I get them back to their baseline? Um, and so just try to avoid being an advocate. And remember from a defense standpoint, you're going to get on the witness stand. And one of the first things I'm going to say is you, is you understand that your role in this case is you're not an advocate, correct? You're not advocating for anybody. You're not taking the position. You're just a practicing doctor, correct? And you're going to say, correct. And then I'm going to go through the report and then I'm going to try to impeach you in, certain, in a certain way where you have certain entries that seem to be where you're advocating for the client. You seem to be taking the position on causation of damages where causation isn't really relevant for you, right? It's relevant is what are their injuries? Where are they at? How do I get them back to the baseline? So are you advocating there in terms of you said that it wasn't her fault, but you weren't there at the time of the accident. And it's not really relevant as to getting her back to the baseline. Are you advocating? So if I can try to create um, some sort of a prejudice, that helps me, right? And again, I like to think I'm a good lawyer. I like to think my law firm is a good lawyer. 
we start from the basis, we start from the position that everyone has been acting reasonably and getting reasonable medical care and doing the right thing to get the person back to baseline. And we all know on this call that there are plaintiff's firms that push clients to overtreat, to get steroid injections, to push them for surgeries, um, and, and to do those things. And we also know that there's uh, patients that tell us that they were pre-existing zero. And then when we get the case later on and we start diving into it and look at prescriptions and who prescribed those prescriptions, they had a ton of pre-existing and they were seeing a chiropractor and an orthopedic surgeon on the eve of the event. So do we have some pessimism? Well, we need to have some pessimism, but hopefully I walk into the case believing I'm dealing with a credible plaintiff lawyer, a credible patient and credible doctors. And then I just look to the records to see whether or not it continues to be that way or whether I have greater concerns. I think that's just incredibly good advice uh, for everybody listening, because I've met a lot of chiropractors, Keith, a real, real lot of them. And one thing that I know about them is that they are advocates. They are advocates for their clients. They take it very personally and very seriously. A lot of them develop personal relationships with their clients. I know I've seen lots of cases where um, people who were pre-existing patients of a chiropractor who then get into a car accident, that chiropractor will go visit them in the hospital. And uh, I mean, it's not a typical PCP relationship or orthopedist relationship. These people have a lot of vested care, personal care for these people. And sometimes that does manifest in reports. You're exactly right as an advocacy. And defense attorneys will exploit that and not even necessarily in a bad way. From a legal standpoint, Keith's right. Your job isn't to be your patient's advocate in terms of liability, in terms of, you know, whose fault it was. The, the, those sorts of things are not within the purview of the advocacy that, you're, that you really are expected to. You are supposed to advocate for their well-being and for their health, but when reports start taking on airs of, you know, this person wasn't at fault for the accident or, you know, things of that nature that sort of start to feel advocate-y, um, then yeah, then defense attorneys are definitely going to pick up on that and they're going to comment on it. And when you answer the, the first question he asks you on the stand, which is, you're not an advocate here, right? You're not, you're not paid by either side. You're a neutral third party. You're a treating doctor. You came in here, not a, you know, aligned with anybody, right? And you're going to go, well, of course. And then he point, starts pointing at things in the records that don't really back that up. You, you don't you don't look as credible as you otherwise could. So I, I, I as far as one takeaway, keep top line. That's that's perfect. So and then um, and then just to get you guys to the ninth hour to understand what it is we're saying and how it it's put together. Remember, a trial is a play, right? It's a play, and we're directing the play and who the actors are, and they're coming up, and we're trying to sell to the jury a certain impression and feeling. For example, I make a comedy. I want you and your wife to walk out saying, "Oh my gosh, that was so funny." I wanted you to leave the movie with an emotion or a feeling. We're doing the same thing day by day at Fort Dyer, at opening, at direct for each witness. What is the feeling and emotion we want the jury to get to take away from this? So when we talk about these biases, there's a khaki instruction. It's called and khaki is a jury instruction that the jury must follow as a matter of law. The judge gives them the law that they must follow. And then the jury decides the facts. They get to decide, was someone injured? What's the extent of the injury? What's the damage? But they have to follow the law that the judge gives them. And one of those laws is a khaki instruction 107. And what khaki instruction 107 is, you, the jury, get to decide the credibility of the witnesses. And so what I will say is, you know, that here's the chiropractor or here's the doc, the DC, and he professed to be, you know, the doctor for the patient. However, 
this DC worked with this plaintiff's firm 100 different times, referred this plaintiff to the same orthopedic surgeon 25 times and the same neurologist 25 times. And I showed you those reports where he or she was seemingly advocating versus just treating the patient. And so in Khaki 107, you have the province of determining the credibility of the witness. And in my opinion, he or she went a little too far. They exaggerated it too much. I think they treated too much. I don't think it was necessarily needed, but you guys get to judge the credibility of that DC, not me. That's your job. So I just want you to understand how we put it together. Yeah. And I want everyone listening to hear how compelling that argument was. Um, if, and, and that was, you know, that was the, that was the legal equivalent of half speed, right? I mean, when, 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 when you were up there in trial, I've seen that argument made and it's, it is very compelling. Now, are there plaintiff side retorts to most of those things? Of course. You referred your case 29 times to an orthopedist. Doc, is that your best orthopedist? Is that the best orthopedist you've ever seen? Is that the most credible? Is that the one that's closest by geographically? There are reasons you might send a patient to the same orthopedic office more than one time. So like there's ways around some of these things. And there, but, but the point he's making is you need to be careful about the impression that your conduct gives uh, to, a, to a jury. Now, I want to I want to steer us away from jury trial a little bit because like you said Keith 3% and I think that's an exaggeration certainly not the case in my office that it's 3%. Um so that means that 90 you know 8 plus percent are uh are not going to trial. So that means that while everything is viewed in the light of how is a jury going to interpret this as in terms of value analysis what you're doing in your day-to-day -day job is not mostly trying cases. You're mostly evaluating the evidence and then giving reports to insurance companies and adjusters who then give you give you leeway vis-a-vis -vis money to get the case resolved prior to trial, right? At mediation or something like that. In those conversations, when you're when you're dealing with an insurance company or an adjuster. What what are some things that you're seeing chiropractors doing? I mean, yeah, obviously advocating in their reports is is a is is a big one, and you could point that out to an adjuster as a reason why the case might not be worth as much money without going to trial. But what sorts of things are chiropractors doing in their reports or in their referrals that are coming up in those calls with adjusters that you think, hey man, if if the good ones, right? That we're not talking about people who are making intentional errors, but if you if you're a good chiropractor and you're really trying to at you know to do the best by your patient that you can, what are some ways they can make some unforced errors? They can avoid some unforced errors and and, and make a, a better report, better referrals, just be be a all around better uh, provider of care for PI patients. Okay, well, let me start by telling you the things that I think I like and the things that I sell. And when I mean I sell, I'm I'm trying to convey to the carrier that not everyone is working the system. That this is reasonable that what he or she went through in terms of the injuries and the accident and the damages is reasonable. I've got to get the carrier to be thinking in that optimistic state of mind. Some carriers are of the mind that all cases are exaggerated, overblown, and et cetera. So what are some of the things I like? You know, Clearly, the closer in time to the event that he or she goes to see the DC, the more credible the injury, right? If people have pain and strain and they have issues and they go, if they wait three months and then they go see a DC, that seems to, to, to lend a little bit of issue with regard to credibility of, of the actual claimant him her, herself. Did she go see a lawyer? And then he or she said, go see the DC. So I like closeness in time. I just think it makes the loss look more credible. And I think a jury is going to see that. I think a jury is going to think cause and effect, right? So again, it's not so much what I think or what I say. It's really how is it received by the jury? And that is from a viewpoint, a very positive thing. Clearly, you have no, you have no control over that. 
The next thing I like is I do like a DC that has an intake form. I want to know what your baseline was. Where were you before? Where are you now? What happened in this accident? What are you feeling? What are your emotions? What, what are the, the, the pain scale on all the different issues? And I know most of you use those. Um, I would advocate that you should continue to use those at every visit because you want to, obviously, as a doctor, feel that I'm making progress and that someone's getting better. I think it's ironic, and I think this is a negative, where you see the patient continually stays the same on the baseline, even after a surgery, um, or he or she doesn't ever reduce their baseline. Now, we go back to bias of, of a DC or, or any doctor. I had a doctor on the stand one time, and I said, wouldn't you have expected to see this patient improving over a period of time? And he said, listen, some of these patients are going to exaggerate their pain because they want to communicate to me that they still need treatment. They don't want me not to be paying attention to them. And they have a heightened sense of, hey, if I complain a little more, I'll get more action. Squeaky wheel gets the oil. It's not necessarily because they want to get more treatment or they're telling you they have more pain and suffering from this case. They really want my attention. That was a pretty credible answer. I, I liked the explanation there uh, in front of the jury. But what I like to see are those pain scales. I like to see that, a that, that the DC is being honest in his or her assessment of what he or she's doing. I think a DC that treats too long, you start getting to six months, um, you start to lose a little bit of credibility. I like to see a DC use different orthopedic surgeons, different uh, neurologists, you know, in, in, that, in that geographical area, not just the same one over and over again, then we get the same canned reports. I think that helps in terms of credibility. Look, I love Five lawyers I, I send files to, right? I don't just send them every single time to the same plaintiff lawyer. I want to spread them around because I get different results. And I think it, the diversification is good for the foundation. I'm hoping you guys as doctors feel the same way. And I think it will lend a little more credibility to the referrals for you as well. I'm still waiting um, to be on that list of five. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're there. You're in the, <laughs> you're in the five five. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. I think I've hit my, my big ones though. You know, I'm concerned about exaggeration from a patient. And, the, and your, your response as a doctor to that exaggeration is to how you're going to respond in your report, how you're going to respond to your analysis and treatment for that. Don't, don't touch, push a little bit more on, um, on why treating more than five, six, seven, and once the treatment starts getting up into that range in months, why did that hurts credibility? Because I think doctors sometimes think, well, their, their condition has, has sort of stagnated, right? They came in at a seven out of 10 pain and now they're at a five out of 10 pain. So I've gotten them down, but now it stayed four, five, five, four, four, five, five, four for a while. But they tell me that like, if they come in, I make them feel better. They're better for two, three days. Then it starts hurting again. They come back in, I make them feel better. And I don't want to stop because they're they're They tell me it's helping. So in those situations, I feel like chiropractors are, are caught between a rock and a hard place where they're like, look, I know that the the evidence shows that, you know, if, if I'm still treating after four, five, six months, that, that care has really become palliative at this point. It's not really improving their condition substantially toward, toward some sort of resolution of the condition. But on the other hand, you got patients saying, hey, look, if I don't get them in and get my chiropractic adjustment, I can't get out of bed. So, you know, at least if I come in, I'm good for three days. I can come back, you know, do my work and then go back and get adjusted. To speak to the defense perspective on that. Well, I think I would go through everything that you just went to that. Is there a plateau period? And at what point is that plateau period? But again, the initial time when we're seeing that patient three times a week or four times a week, right? And then we get to a month or two months, should start to slow down, right? I'd like to see you once a week. But if we're still seeing that patient three to four times a week after six months, then he or she needs to be seeing a different type of practitioner. And we've got a different type of problem. Um, 
And right. are we going to seek those alternative remedies? And maybe they're doing that as well as continuing with chiropractic, but maybe you say, hey, I slowed down a little bit. I think it's a little bit more credible and look at it. each patient's going to be differently. So we're talking very 10,000 feet and, and, and not really hands-on to a specific patient. But in it, wouldn't it be great to say, for the first two or three months, I saw this patient three to four times. Then I got her off to a, neuro, a, neurologist, a, neuro, a neurologist, an orthopedic surgeon. But I felt like one to two times was still um, helping this patient in terms of pain relief. I reduced the numbers. I continued to communicate collaboratively with the other doctors as to what I was doing. They felt if it was adding value, I should continue to do that. So I would love to see that collaborative conversation. I think that's going to sell. I can tell you that I often po um, poke holes in, in doctors where they're not having a collaborative conversation. In fact, doctor, you never once talked to the DC, did you? So the DC saw her 62 times and you didn't feel it was necessary to ask how it was going, where they were going. Do you find the witness to be credible? Is she exaggerating claims? Where is she exaggerating? What are these? That just gives you credibility with the jury. Again, under that khaki instruction we talked about earlier, 107, the greater, the more information and facts you have, the greater the foundation for your opinions, right? The more information we have, the smarter we are. So getting as much information as you can is helpful. Calling the other doctors. What are you saying? What are you smelling, touching, hearing? This is what I'm feeling. Yeah. And, and, and we, you know. And, and Alex, let me, let me jump in here. Keith, you're, just give, you're giving us, you know, so many, so, so much value here. So much good information because I tend to agree after six months, there's got to be a good compelling reason. But also you look at the pain scales that you both discussed. And I like to see improvement with patients and also, I consider doc, chiropractors primary care doctors. They, they, they are under, under the code in those states. So that means if the patient is not responding as well as they can, maybe there's another kind of therapy the chiropractor can recommend. Maybe the acupuncturist down the street for a couple of weeks and then come back. But you don't want to see the frequency remaining the same in months six, seven, and eight as, as you would in months one, two, or three. Uh, and then again, uh, uh, having a variety of MDs to work with, I think is crucial. I, I think you just don't use the same person unless you're out in the desert someplace and nobody else is around. I love, I love when he was talking about how you, you, you get credibility through communication, through a collaborative approach. I mean, he, he's a thousand percent right. We talk about it all the time that a good orthopedic surgeon and a good orthopedist, we've both, we've had both on this podcast, will write at the end of their report referred back to chiropractic for additional treatment as necessary, or we find finding chiropractic treatment to be as you know, helpful in pain relief, uh, see chiropractor one time per week or whatever. Those, those orthopedic reports add to that, that, uh, that credibility that, that Keith's talking about where you, you now, it now looks like a treatment team. This is not, you know, one chiropractor going rogue with 70, 80 treatments. This is you know, the orthopedic said chiropractor's helping. Chiropractor said chiropractor's helping. Patient said chiropractor's helping. Helping. I like to see the chiropractors involved in creating their own triage treatments, depending upon the, the individual. <clears throat> One of the doctors on the call is, is a friend. He's up north. And we just discussed that very issue yesterday. He says, this patient's reached PNS. He'll never be the same as, you know, he's a pedestrian. He's got, got permanent injuries. And so we're, we're, we're designing and working with his office to get the appropriate medical evaluation, see what, what can be done with this patient. But you're right, there's a certain point that you've got to stop or you got to change the care mechanism. you got to be able to justify, I think, every single visit. Now, Alex, we're down to 128. You know what that means? I do know what that means. So we need to uh, we need to thank uh, Keith for coming on and we need to sign <laughs> off. We're going to do a little bit of... Uh of uh of advertising here at the end because well including including keith I and mean, we got we got a big deal i know seminar but but you know keith has got he's you know he may look like a defense attorney but he's much more than that 
Thank you, boys. So how do we get it? How, how does how does any of these doctors, if they need your 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 uh, work in the in business uh, relationships, how do they get a hold of you again? Well, Sean, thank you so much for saying that. And again, everyone, nice to meet y'all. Again, go to the website Bremer White W H Y T. You'll have my email. If you guys have partnership agreements, fee disputes, uh, you're buying real estate. Any type of transactional litigation, uh, transactional issues you want to run by me, there's no charge of sending me an email and telling me what's going on, uh, and I'm happy to be a resource. In the same breath, if you wanted me to look at a report that you wrote and say, does this report bug you? It doesn't. How would you write it better? I, I'd love to be a resource. Alex and Sean have asked me to help out, and I'm all in. So I think an open, transparent, collaborative relationship with a plaintiff and defense bar is the best way to solutions. So yes, I'm on board. A thousand percent right. And what I was going to say is I don't think that this has been nearly enough. We've only scratched the surface with Keith. He's got so much more to give uh, and to tell us. Uh, And to that end, November 19th, uh, where will you be, Keith? I am going to be at the Los Angeles. Let's see where I'll be. Hold on one second. Uh, (laughs) uh, At the Steele Law Firm Continuing Education for for DCs at the uh, Westin by LAX. That's Nine That's o'clock. Right. That's right. You will. So uh, Keith will be one of our featured speakers at this year's advanced seminar, uh, the annual PI Summit with the Masters. Um, tickets are still available. SeanSteele.com slash LAX. Uh, it is eight hours of continuing education approved for chiropractors. Uh, so go and check that out. Uh, Keith is going to be speaking for an hour and he's got such good information. I've already seen part of his PowerPoint. He's got such good information uh, that I'm really excited to have him share with you guys. There's also going to be an, or- an orthopedic surgeon, a neurosurgeon, Sam Collins, of course. Um, and Keith, uh, hopefully hopefully this doesn't this isn't weird. We have an, an, an insurance adjuster, hopefully one that you've never worked with, uh, who is going to attempt to remain anonymous. Uh, she was also a guest on our podcast. It was uh, one of our most successful podcasts. Uh, and uh, so she's actually going to be there live in person. Uh, she will not be giving her name or what insurance company she works for, but she she'll will be wearing be- a hat and a veil. Yeah, she's going to be wearing a <clears throat> San Diego get up. Um, but she'll also be there. So uh, we're, we're very excited for that. That is also, like you said, November 19th at uh, the Westin at LAX. Uh, Keith, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, and if you uh, if you want to see more of Keith and and uh, and that, SeanSteele.com slash LAX. Sean, anything? I'm uh, looking forward to seeing folks on on on, on the uh, in November on the 19th. But more than that, we've got a lot going on. Look at our newsletter. We got some really exciting stuff that's coming out the door. Uh, and so, if you're not on our newsletter, you're missing a, a lot about what's going on in personal injury for chiropractors in California. Or remember, in order to subscribe to the to the newsletter, you got to love personal injury. But, uh, you, but you know how to get a hold of us, Sean Steele at SeanSteele.com. I see some of your comments. We're going to be uh, we're going to be responding to that. Keith, thanks very much. We appreciate having you. We're looking forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks. All right, everyone, be well, and thank you for this time to share. Take care. Hey, take care, man. Bye bye.